Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now we're going to stop there because I think that's about as far as we're going to get tonight. And so we're going to spend tonight dealing with these 24 elders and dealing with the question of who are the 24 elders. Uh, The answer is not only knowable, it's pretty exciting, and I can't wait to show it to you. Now let me also say, uh, I'm going to tell you straight out, it's the church. It is the church which has already been raptured prior to what what John sees in chapter 4, the things that must take place after this. I'm going to show you from Scripture, and a lot of Scripture, that this is the church that's already been raptured, and they are the 24 elders around the throne. Now, some have tried to say that the 12, 24 elders represent uh, all the redeemed throughout eternity, Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, the church, that they, they say, and I'll get to that later on, uh, that this is what the 24 elders are. I'm going to show you tonight from Scripture that it's not possible for it to be all the redeemed. It has to be just the church. And also, some others say that, it, that they're angels, I'll show you again tonight why they cannot be angels and they have to be the church. So we're going to lay all that out tonight. Now, let me just tell you ahead of time, get your thinking caps on, because as I lay this out for you, some things will be very, very clear. And you'll even say, man, I'm surprised I never saw that. But in doing so and dealing with those two other issues of things that people have said that the 24 elders were that are not scripturally correct, it's going to take us into a study of something that you've probably never even knew existed in the Bible We're going to deal with, by the end of tonight, a study of that God's Word has shown us all along that there's different sets of resurrections. And there's an order to resurrections. And knowing those sets of resurrections will help us even understand more who the 24 elders are. And then at the end of tonight, Lord willing, if we get there, and and I hope we do, we're going to also take something about these 24 elders that's kind of cool. I'm going to hypothesize at the end. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, it's a hypothesis, but I will only hypothesize if I think I can back it up with Scripture. And I'm going to suggest something to you tonight at the end that I hope will get every one of us really, really excited. So we'll just leave it at that, and let's start to do our study as to who the 24 elders are. Scripture has been telling us all along that the church will one day rule and reign with Jesus. Go in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Remember, they were seated on thrones, 24 thrones around the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 21 through 22. And as you're turning there, let me remind you, in the messages to the seven churches, they were not only literal churches that existed at that time that God had messages to, they also were messages not just to those churches, but to all the churches. Remember, whenever he said, he was an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this message to the Laodicean church is not only specifically to them, but also to the church as a whole. And in Revelation chapter 3, 21 and 22, Jesus says, the one who conquers, and by the way, if you don't know what that means, uh, the Bible says that we conquer by faith. In 1 John it says, who is he that conquers or who is he that overcomes those who have faith in Jesus Christ? We, we, overcon- we conquer overcome by our testimony in the word of the Lamb, all right, in the blood of the Lamb, right? That's how we conquer. Him who conquers, those who have faith in Christ, 
I will grant him to sit with me on my what? On my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I'm going to show you much more, many more passages because one thing I hope you get from these teachings that, I, that God wants to use me to accomplish here is never build a doctrine on one verse. There's too many people that say, well, the Bible says here, so therefore I believe. You can build any kind of theology with one verse. You need to make sure that the whole of Scripture matches up with whatever it is that you're thinking the Bible's teaching. You see, for years we've been taught that you need to look at the context, and that's good, because if you want to get a correct interpretation of Scripture, you better know what the context says. But if you build your theology just from the context, you may not have a correct interpretation. You must then take your interpretation from the context of that passage and check it against the rest of the Scripture. You know why? God wrote the whole book, and He'll never contradict Himself. So if the context brings out an interpretation that doesn't match up with the rest of the book... It can't be a correct interpretation. Do you understand what I'm saying? For example, let me just say to you real quickly, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, God said to the nation of Israel, He said, uh, I'm the one who led you in those 40 years in the wilderness. I did it for three purposes. One was to humble you. Another was to test you. Another was to teach you. But when He talked about testing Him, He said, I tested you to see what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep my commandments. Now, if you look at the context, it sure looks like God didn't know whether or not they would keep his commandments, right? I tested you to see whether or not you would. Is that a correct interpretation? Can't be. Because if you check that against the whole of Scripture, is there anything God doesn't know? No, Psalm 139, David says, four words even on my tongue, you know it completely. Remember how Peter said, I'm never going to deny you. I'll, I'll die for you. Jesus says, actually, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to do it three times. Are you going to go throw a fishing line into the water, Peter? Are you going to pull out a fish and you're going to open its mouth? There'll be a coin for you and a coin for me. Go pay our tax. Lucky guess? <laughs> there isn't anything God doesn't already know. He already knows how we're going to fare in the test. So that's why if you're going to build a correct interpretation from Scripture, if you're going to build a correct interpretation of the book of Revelation, check it against the whole of Scripture. And by the time, if Jesus tarries, we get done with this book of Revelation study, your mind will be blown as to how much of the book of Revelation had already been written in the rest of the Bible. All I'm going to be doing as I teach you is showing you all those places and putting it together. All right? So here we see from one verse, or two verses here, Revelation 3, 21 and 22, that Jesus said to the church that I'm going to let you, if you conquer by faith, I'm going to let you sit on my throne as I conquered and sat on my Father's throne. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give what? Authority over what? Over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when an earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Here again, he says to the churches... He who conquers, I'm not only going to let you sit on my throne with me, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. If we endure with him, we will also what? Reign with him. Pretty clear, isn't it? Well, it gets even more clear. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 3. When one of you has a grievance against another, 
Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? As Paul was dealing with church, uh, Christians in the church in Corinth who were suing each other, taking each other to the law courts, he says, hey, haven't you realized that we're going to rule? We're going to judge the world? We're even going to judge angels? Aren't you able to handle trivial matters? Why do you have to go to the secular people to deal with your issues? Now, let me just point something out to you here. When John describes the 24 elders, if you go back and look at Revelation chapter 4, and look at verse 4, he says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Does anybody notice that he kind of describes them as if we should know what they are? I mean, a lot of the things that John sees, he's not quite sure what it is. And he says, well, I saw something that looked like this. And, and, and there was a rainbow, but it was kind of emeraldish, and it was green. And, but when he describes the elders, he doesn't say it's like anything. He just says, oh, and there's 24 thrones and the elders were sitting on it. He acts like we should know who this is. By the way, you'll see that next week when we get into the four living creatures. He does the same thing. He describes the four living creatures, and he describes them as if we should know what they are. Well, you know why? Because back in Ezekiel, Ezekiel had already seen the same thing. And so when John's writing this, because he knew the Old Testament, and he knew what had been written already, as he described the four living creatures, he just said, oh, and by the way, the four living creatures were there. And the same way, he's describing the 24 elders, and he's describing them in a way as if to say, oh, by the way, you know who this is. Well, how do we know? Well, we know this much. Jesus has already said that the church is going to sit on thrones with him around his throne and rule the world and angels. But also, how are they dressed? They're wearing white. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says to the church in Sardis that you still have a few names in Sardis, in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What are they wearing on their heads? Golden crowns. By the way, the Greek word translated crowns is stephanos. It means a victor's crown. It's something you are rewarded for your faithfulness and what you have done. Remember, our salvation is, is a gift, but our rewards are what we accrue, if you will, after salvation, according to how faithful we've been to do what it is God had called each of us to do. I'll deal with this in a second, but the, are the angels going to be given crowns? No, but the church will be. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses, verses 11 through 13. Revelation 3, verse 11. It says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. This is a specific message to the church there at Smyrna. 
some of you into prison, that you may be tested for 10 days and you'll have tribulation, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. We're not going to turn there because it's a passage many of us know, but if you want to write it down and look at it later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, through 8, at the end of his life, Paul's sitting in that prison in Rome and he says, I fought the fight, I finished the race. Now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me but on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So at this point, prior to chapter 4 of Revelation, we've already seen from the scriptures that God has been saying through the, the New Testament passages and also here in the book of Revelation, prior to chapter 4, he's already been saying, look, if you're going to be in the church, if you're going to be one who conquers by faith, I'm going to let you sit on thrones around my throne. I'm going to let you rule the world and the angels with me. I'm going to dress you in white and give you golden crowns. It's pretty clear who the 24 elders are, but there's even one more clue that most people have never looked at. Because the big question is, okay, but why the number 24? Well, folks, and I'm not here to make you feel bad. I just want to light a fire under you. Read your Bibles. I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. And I, because I don't want to shame you. I don't believe God uses shame. But would you say that this world today is pretty much lacking in their understanding of the Scriptures? I was talking with somebody today, and they were watching on TV, and I happened to see the exact same thing. It was on the Big Bang Theory where this person, and I just was flipping by and saw it, and they were discussing the ark, and one person believed that, that Noah and the ark was real, and the other person didn't. And the, other, the person that didn't said, I can prove to you how foolish Noah and the ark is. What they feed the lions during all that time, as if to say, you know, all the other animals would be eaten. Well, if the world would read their Bibles, they'll know that Back in that day, it wasn't until chapter 9 of Genesis that the animals started eating flesh. They ate grass. They were herbivores. He, he gave them grass. Very simply answered if you read your Bible. Well, so would we say that the world doesn't really know the Scriptures? They know about it, but they don't know it at all? Let me tell you something. As I travel in the role that God's given me to go wake the church up and get them ready for the return of Jesus, the sad thing is most Christians don't know their Bibles either. And so I'm just going to encourage you. Come into a study is great. Read it, read it, read it. Because actually, God already showed us about the 24 back in 1 Chronicles, actually chapter 24. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24. See, when God set up the Levitical system and the priesthood, what did it take to become a Levite? What did you have to do in order to become a Levite? Be born into the family of Levi, right? Well, all the men who were born in the family of Levi served as priests. Well, problems started to happen. All of a sudden, they started having a lot more and a lot more and a lot more Levites. They all couldn't serve in the temple at the same time. Got a little crowded. So what God had them do was break the Levites, by the way, the spiritual leaders, break the Levites down into divisions, Anybody want to guess how many? 24 divisions. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 24. Look at verses 7 through 19. I'm not going to read this whole section because I'll get very tongue-tied if I tried to finish it. But it says, The first lot fell to Jehorib, the second to Jediah, the third to Harim, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malkijah, the sixth to Mid 
Midjamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah. That's important. Keep that one in mind for later on. And then so on. Look at verse 18. The 23rd to Deliah and the 24th to Messiah. These had their appointed duty in the service to come into the house of the Lord according to the procedure established for them by Aaron their father as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. Because of the fact that there were so many Levites and they all couldn't serve at once, they broke all the Levites down into 24 divisions according to who their relatives were. And if you know from the book of Luke, and Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is told by the angel Gabriel that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son and they're to name him John, if you look at the scripture, he was serving because he was of the priestly line of Abijah. It was his time when Abijah's group of the 24 was to serve in the temple. And even then, they still had more than they could need everybody to do this stuff, so they would draw lots to determine who got what role while they were there. And the lot fell to him that he was to take the incense into the holy place. Now, here's what I want you to understand. There were spiritual leaders over Israel, and the 24 divisions represented the whole. Oh, they also had another problem, not just there were too many Levites. They had another problem a lot of our churches have. There are too many people that wanted to be the singers. Chapter 25, you'll see that they all break all the worship leaders down into, guess how many divisions? 24 divisions. And again, if you were to look at chapter 25, verses 9 through 31, not going to read the whole section. The first lot fell for Asaph to Joseph, and the second to Gedaliah, and to him and his brothers and sons. If you jump all the way down to verse 31, to the 24th, to Romamitzer, or something like that, his sons and his brothers, 12. Again, there were worship leaders, and there were spiritual leaders, and they had a role in the temple, and they had a role in the leading of the congregation of Israel and in the worship. Because there were so many, they broke them down into 24 divisions, which represented the rest. As you put it all together, it becomes very clear. What are the leaders of the church called in the Bible? The leaders. The leaders of the church are called elders. That's why the Bible talks about that there are elders, the overseers, the deacons. The deacons is a different role than overseer, overseer. But you'll see in the Bible, if you look later on at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter says, I appeal to you elders as a fellow elder. Be a shepherd of the flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. You'll see the word shepherd, overseer, elder, all interchangeable. In our, the scripture, the Bible is taught that those who are going to be in spiritual authority are called the elders. And all of the church by this point has been raptured and we're in heaven with God serving in our role and the 24 elders represent who that's the church but I got more ways to show this to you that's only page two the 24 elders cannot be angels though because they don't receive crowns as we've already talked about nor do they sit on thrones and rule since they are ministering servants sent out to serve on behalf of those who will inherit salvation. Listen closely. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and listen closely to what Hebrews chapter 1 says, verses 1 through 14. The Hebrew writer is trying to talk to a group of Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism. They started off as Jews and came to faith in Christ, but because of the persecution they were experiencing because of their faith in the early church ages... Some of them were thinking about going back to Judaism. And the Hebrew writer is dealing with this whole issue in the, in the whole book of Hebrews. And he's saying, why would you go back to what is lesser? And in that, he talks about angels in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Listen to what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, 
He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son and today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds of fire. Sorry, makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Can they be angels sitting on that throne around his throne? Very clearly, they cannot be. But now, because of a passage in Revelation 21, you can look at it later on. In Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down and is coming down out of heaven, we see that the new Jerusalem has 12 gates and 12 foundations. And on 12 of them, there are the apostles. And then also there are the disciples of the Lord. And, and it's because there's 12 of the apostles and 12 disciples, they say, well, 12 and 12 is 24. So that's a mixture of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament. And therefore, the 24 elders are the believers through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now again... If you take one verse, do a little math, you could try to build that theology. So, what am I trying to teach you? If you have an interpretation that you think is correct from a verse, how do you know if that's a correct interpretation? Check it against the rest of the Scriptures. When you do, you'll find that can't be. Because at this point, I'm going to show you from Scripture... The tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints haven't received their eternal bodies yet. That doesn't happen until the end of the tribulation period at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So this can't be all the redeemed because they haven't received their bodies yet or their reward. Who at this point has already received their eternal bodies and their reward so that they can rule and reign with him? The church. Now, before we go there and I lay this all out for you, let me just give you a quick commercial about some things we may get into next week. Time-wise, we'll see. Maybe not. But it's important for us to understand this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present suffering is not worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. How does Paul know this? Anybody know? He's seen it. <laughs> Remember, he says, I know a man whether in the body or out of the body. I'm not really sure how I was at the, in that time, but I, I saw things. I was taken into the third heaven. I saw things I wasn't allowed to talk about. But let me just tell you, 
what we're going through here in this life is not even worth being compared with what's going to happen next. And then he says something else. He not only says, I know something you don't know. He says, creation knows something you don't know. It says, creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation has been subjected to frustration, not by its own desire, but by the will of the one who subjected it, so that it would one day be released from its bondage in decay. Remember what happened in the garden? When it, before the fall, it was, everything was wonderful, wasn't it? But the moment Adam and Eve ate from that tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, three things happened at that moment. And again, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version because there's something in here we need to understand which shows us where we're going tonight. At the moment they ate from the tree, spiritually, they died. Remember, Jesus said, uh, the moment you eat from it, you will die. Well, they didn't drop dead, but they died. Spiritually, they were separated from God. Their bodies also began to die. Their bodies now became under a curse, and he said, now from the dust you came to the dust you'll go back. And a third thing happened. The earth was cursed. So at that moment that they ate from the tree, they spiritually died, their bodies began to die, and the earth was under a curse now. The Bible shows us if you do a study in the Old Testament, and if we have time, we'll get to that next week. If not, it'll be the next time we get together. The Bible shows us that actually in the Old Testament, God set up three laws of redemption pointing to how God was going to fix those three problems. One is the redeeming of the bride. We, we know the story is Ruth and Boaz. If a man dies and he doesn't produce any children for his wife, the brother or near relative was to come and take her and redeem the bride. By the way, that happens the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, right? We become the bride of Christ. How many of you were spiritually dead, but now you're spiritually alive because of faith in Jesus Christ? All right, hands down. For those of you that just raised your hand, at the moment you trusted Christ and you became spiritually alive, did your cholesterol drop? <laughs> did you lose 15 pounds? All of a sudden, your joints felt better? No, your body's still under the curse, isn't it? It's still decaying. Well, see, the Bible showed in the Old Testament there was a picture for the redeeming of the slave. The Bible says there's a, our bodies are slaves to sin, are they not? Isn't that why Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of flesh? Anybody understand that same struggle? I do. But in the Old Testament, there was a law for redeeming the slave every seven years. In the year of Jubilee, the slaves were to be set free. Again, a picture of the redeeming of the slave, which is our bodies. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, in that section that I was already quoting you from, how creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, that the sons of God are going to be revealed at the redemption of our bodies when we receive our adoption as sons. By the way, when do we get our new bodies, according to the scripture? When does the church get their new body? Nope, not before, not after the tribulation. Where? No. When do we get our new bodies, according to the scriptures? Anybody know? At the rapture. No, that is our eternal body that we get at the rapture. And again, I'll lay some more of that out for you a little bit later tonight, but stick with me. At the rapture, we get our new bodies. Paul says, let me tell you a secret. We'll show you that passage later tonight. 
We're not all going to sleep. We're all going to be changed in a moment. Twinkling in the eye. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18? I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, and we also believe that he rose from the dead and that he will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. Those of us who are alive are going to be caught up. We'll be changed. We'll be going with the Lord in the air. Folks, at the rapture is when the church receives their new bodies. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed because creation knows they're next. Spiritually, they died. Physically, they began to die. And the earth was cursed. You spiritually are made alive when you trust Jesus as your Savior. At the rapture, the church receives their new bodies and the slave is set free. And then... And we'll get to that when we understand the opening of the seals. All of a sudden, that scroll with seven seals is going to make so much more sense because you're going to see that at the beginning of the tribulation, as Jesus begins to open the seals, he's opening the title deed to the earth, and he's getting his land back. You see, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's, right? And everything in it. But he gave dominion in Genesis chapter 1 to who? To man. He gave, I mean, they got to name the animals. They got to rule and reign. They were in charge. We subleased it. We lost the land, didn't we? Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. Satan is. God's going to meet the terms to get the land back. But in an order. Creation's waiting for the rapture. Because creation knows they're next. Yes, sir? What if you go to Elijah and Enoch? It all seemed like they weren't rapture. They're in the, with the Lord. They haven't gotten their new bodies yet. Moses and Elijah were recognizable when they appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Folks, understand, every believer, church or Old Testament saint, they're with God right now. They're in the, as of the body is what? Present with the Lord. But, and they're even recognizable, and as you're about to see in a passage I'm going to show you, they, they have a recognizable form, but they haven't been given their eternal bodies yet. So Elijah was taken up into his presence. He's got a recognizable form, but he doesn't have his eternal body yet. I'll show you when the scripture says he'll do that. But at the rapture is when the church receives their new bodies, and we face the judgment seat of Christ. All this stuff we'll get into in our study. That's why at that point, the rapture had to have already occurred for the church to already be there. And they're seated on thrones around the throne. They're already receiving, they've already received their white robes and their crowns, and they're ruling and reigning with Jesus right at that moment. Now, let me show you a couple other things that may help you. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Look at verses 9 through 11. When he, meaning Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is during the tribulation period now. At this point, when this seal is opened, he sees these souls under the altar and they're crying out and they say, when are you going to avenge our blood? I mean, those people down there on earth killed us because of our faith in you. When are you going to get them? They're given white robes, and they're told to wait a little longer. So they have a form of such that they could put on a white robe, but they're told to wait until the rest of their brothers who are going to be killed in the same manner during the tribulation period. 
And I'm going to show you. Keep this in mind because you're going to see another passage that ties with this. By the way, you want further evidence that the tribulation period is a different dispensation than the church age? When Jesus was on the cross and they were mocking Him and making fun of Him and He was dying for them, what did He pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when he was being stoned, cried out and said, Father, don't hold this sin against them. During the tribulation, those who have been killed, are they saying, God, don't hold it against them? It's a different attitude. The age of grace has come to an end. This is the time of judgment. And the Christians, or those who have come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period, are saying, when are you going to avenge our blood? Do you see the difference in the attitude? Further evidence of a different time period. The church is already gone. Oh, let me show you another one, though. Go to Revelation chapter 20. But their souls under the altar, they don't have their bodies yet. And they're just told to wait a little longer. Revelation chapter 20, look at verses 1 through 6. This is at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus has just come back to the earth. We've had the battle of Armageddon. We'll get to all that. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was commanded. And also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, the rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Here we see that at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus grabs Satan and, holds, and throws him into the pit, there's going to be a thousand years that Jesus reigns on the earth. And at that time, those who had been killed during the tribulation period and the Old Testament saints, they came to life. Oh, they're still they're alive. They're in the presence of God. Like I said, Moses and Elijah, some people have tried to teach that there's a thing called soul sleep. You die and then you sleep and then at the time you come back awake. It's the most disprovable doctrine in, in the Bible. It's very clear from Scripture. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. He didn't say, you're going to take a nap. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. By the way, many of us grew up repeating uh, the Apostles' Creed in our church. You remember how in the Apostles' Creed it talked about how Jesus descended into hell and then three days later he rose. Folks, people have believed that Jesus suffered in hell for three days. Not possible. Two reasons from Scripture. Actually, there's more, but I'll give you two. One, remember what Jesus said. Today you'll be with me. In paradise. On top of that, he cried out just before he died, It is finished. To die means paid in full. So if Jesus at that moment paid in full, does he have to suffer still for three days? It's already been paid for. He didn't suffer in hell. Oh, the Bible talks about him going down and preaching to those in prison. Yeah, he proclaimed victory. 
But he didn't go suffer in hell. The moment he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh, by the way, you believe in thief? Come with me. Oh, by the way, Moses and Elijah, when they appeared with Jesus on the mount, they didn't look groggy. And on top of that, they were talking with... Thank you for catching that, James. They were talking with Jesus about what must soon take place in Jerusalem. They already knew what was all going on. In John chapter 8, Jesus is describing the fact that He's always existed and that He's God. And He says, before Abraham was even born, I am. They, they say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hang on. You're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Because He had just said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They say, whoa, whoa, you're acting like you know Abraham. You, how do you know? Abraham's alive is what He's saying. And I know him. So folks, I want you to understand, those who have died in Christ... Remember, in each dispensation, it's been salvation by faith in what God has said in His provision for your sin. The Old Testament saints are with God. They don't have their eternal bodies yet. The tribulation saints are going to be with God, but they won't have their eternal bodies yet. Those who of us who have relatives or family or friends who are in the church who have been saved during this church age, they're with the Lord, but they don't have their eternal bodies yet. But the Scripture, as I continue to hopefully get there tonight, shows you that the church will be gathered first. That's when we get our bodies. At the end of the tribulation period, the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at that time, and they will receive their bodies and their rewards at that time. Therefore, can the 24 elders be the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints? Can't be. They haven't received the resurrection yet. Let me give you one more. Actually, I'll give you two more. Go to Daniel 12. Some of you are saying, I wish you would just build your doctrine off of one verse. <laughs> no, you don't. It'll lead us down roads we don't want to go. Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3. Daniel's been given all these visions about the end. He says, at that time, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people, this is the Jews, shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt, everlasting contempt. Now we've already seen from Revelation, those who rise again to everlasting life are in the first resurrection. Those who are coming to shame and contempt are going to be in the second resurrection, which is at the end of the millennial kingdom. And they're going to go to the great great wine throne judgment. We'll see that later on. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who, who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Look at verse 13. But go your way, Daniel. Go your way till the end. And you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. You're gonna, your body's going to go into the dust of the earth, and at the end of days you will be resurrected and be given your role. There's even one more passage that actually says all this even more clearly than anything we've already looked at. And I'm going to show you it's in a passage that many of you probably have read. I know it's in a section of Scripture that you've heard preached on at Easter many, many times. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 20 through 26. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised 
from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Do you see that? Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, look closely what he says here. Versus he's dealing with the fact that some were saying there is no resurrection of the dead. He's saying, hang on for a second. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're still in your sin. But Christ did rise from the dead. But he's the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And if you know anything what the scripture teaches about first fruits, first fruits were the first of a group of some things that were to follow. For example, when they were to have the harvest, they were to go gather the first fruits of the harvest. That was representative of the rest of the harvest. Well, we got a problem. How can Jesus be the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead? Didn't Lazarus already rise from the dead before that? Didn't, very good, I heard someone say it. Didn't Jairus' daughter be risen from the dead? Died again. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead to never die again. He's the first fruits. Oh, by the way, you want further evidence? That the church isn't here during the tribulation? Again, scripturally, there's so much scriptural evidence. Let me just tell you one real quick that people have been trying to use, and I want to blow it up. For too long, people have been saying, well, before God judged Solomon and Gomorrah, he got his righteous ones out. Therefore, that's proof that he's going to get us out before he judges the world. You ever heard that one? Horrible theology. Now, it's true. We're going to be taken out before the tribulation period, but not because of Lot. I don't know, some of you might remember a guy that wrote a book, Eight Principles of a God-Centered Church. And if you don't know, his name's Jim Johnson. And the first principle is that God may not duplicate a method. And I laid out in my book that God never does anything the same way twice. He never healed a blind person the same way twice. He never, after the walls of Jericho, had him walk around another city. I could go on and on. Strike the rock next time. Speak to the rock. It's horrible to build your theology from saying, well, that's how God did it that time. That means how he's going to do it next. You can't figure God out that way. If you're going to use that, you've got to get us going through the tribulation because when God judged the world in the flood, did he take Noah and his family out or did he leave them in the midst of it and just protect them through it? Which is it now? You, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. But I have scriptural proof from this passage that we're going to look at later on but I'll reference it now. By the way, you're going to hear me repeat things over and over through this study because it takes about five times for it to finally sink in, and that's okay. But when we get to chapter 7, which will be sooner than you think, because we're going to get to chapter 7 before we start opening the seals, because we have to, because the Bible says, if we're going to do it in chronological order, that the 144,000 witnesses have to be sealed before anything happens on the earth. So they have to be sealed before the first seals are even opened. Then later in chapter 14, the 144,000 are described as the first fruits. Wait a minute. If they're the first fruits, they are the first ones that represent the rest that will follow. I thought Paul said that the church, the first believers in the church age were the first fruits. Well, we were of the church age. If the 144,000 witnesses are the first fruits, 
That means the church isn't there anymore. God started a new time period. And those believers that get saved at the beginning of the tribulation are the first ones which represent the rest that will be saved during that time period, which means the church is not here. Again, as you let Scripture speak, it becomes clearer and clearer. But we want to look closely at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 real quick. Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And this is not referring to the rapture here, folks. We already know that we've just read in Revelation 20 at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes back and sets us up his kingdom on the earth. That's when the resurrection of the righteous occurs. Well, Jim, where's the rapture? Keep reading in chapter 15 in the same context. Jump to verse 50. Paul, in the same context, in chapter 15, verse 50, as I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a what? Now, another word that could be used here is the word secret. And if you know anything about Paul, he's been being used of God throughout the New Testament to reveal things that hadn't been revealed in previous generations. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, let me tell you something, you Gentiles, that hadn't been revealed to previous generations. Something that's only being revealed now through his apostles to the church. You Gentiles are full partakers of all the promises that God made to Israel. Those are yours too. But that wasn't known before. It was known that the Gentiles would be saved. That had been revealed all along in the Old Testament that God was going to save Gentiles. But it was not revealed that they were going to receive the same promises and they would be equal with the Jews in the eyes of God. Paul said, let me tell you a secret that most people haven't known. In, First, sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, let me tell you another mystery, Gentiles. Um, Christ is going to be in you. By the way, in the Old Testament, did the Holy Spirit come to indwell the believers? No, the Spirit came upon them. That's why David prayed when he sinned, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, because remember what happened to Saul. Holy Spirit came upon him, and they said, hey, is Saul one of the prophets? And then because of his disobedience, God removed his spirit from Saul. But he says, let me tell you something that most people didn't understand in previous generations because it wasn't revealed. Let me tell you a mystery. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you when you trust him. He uses that same word here in the context of the resurrection from the dead. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. I'll tell you a secret. Something that hadn't been revealed earlier. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Let me tell you something that hadn't been revealed there is a gathering of us that's going to happen just like this prior to all this. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, write it down, look at it later on, when I already quoted to you, how God's going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. As 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground because they haven't gotten their new bodies yet. But when he brings them with him in the rapture, we who are alive will be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture, raptizo. Caught up to go be with the Lord and we'll meet Him where? In the air. And so we will go be with the Lord. John chapter 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. They already exist. And I go prepare a place for you. No, I'm not going to swing a saw and a hammer. They already exist. When Jesus said, I prepare a place for you, He's talking about the cross and His death and His resurrection. How does He prepare a place for us? 
by living without sin, by dying in our place, by rising from the dead. That's how he prepared the place for us. In my Father's house are many rooms. They already exist. I'm going to the cross to make a way for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. If the rapture happens when Jesus comes back to the earth, we don't go meet him in the air. We don't go be to where he is. He's here. That's kind of like a yo-yo rapture. It doesn't work like that. It's not what the scripture teaches. Paul says, let me tell you a secret. Yes, there's an order. Christ the first fruits. Then there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous at the end when he comes and sets up his kingdom. But I'm going to tell you something you didn't know. There's actually going to be another resurrection prior to that when he gathers his church. He secretly takes us away. Now, if you even look at Matthew chapter 27, someone asked me about this last, Tuesday, uh, last night in Tuesday study. They said, Jim, what about those people that at the resurrection of Jesus, they came up out of their graves? Remember the people were resurrected and they were godly people that walked around? Where do they fit in this order? Here is my theological answer. I don't know. Let me give you a little bit more. I really don't know. Let me give you another one. Nobody knows. But there's a chance those people died again. We don't know. They just said that they came to life and walked around and people saw them. They could have bodies gone back to the ground. Don't know. Or they could have gotten their new bodies at that time for God's purposes. The first fruits had already come. We don't know. But I can tell you this. There's an order of resurrections. Jesus first. Now we're seeing that the secret had been not revealed in previous generations, but being revealed now to us. There's going to be a rapture of the church. After that, at the end of the tribulation period, the tribulation saints are going to get their bodies. The Old Testament saints are going to get their bodies, and they're going to rule and reign on the earth during the thousand years. The rest of the dead don't come to life until the end of the thousand years when they're brought before the great white throne to be judged for their sins and for the fact they're not in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then they go with an eternal body. Did you catch that? with an eternal body into the lake of fire. Anybody swimming yet? All this is just to show you the 24 elders is the church. Has to be for lots of reasons. But I want to do one thing. And I'm going backwards in my notes here. I'm going to bring out one last thing about the 24 elders. Now, this is my hypothesis. But I believe it's a scriptural hypothesis. It's easy for us to imagine the 24 elders as the church. Right? You with me here? You don't have, don't have to agree with me. I want you to just wrestle with it. But anybody here thinking that's the church? Wow, look at all those hands. All right, thank you. All right. It's easy for us to think of it as the 24 elders of the church. But can you ever imagine you, yourself, sitting on one of those thrones? I mean, it's easy for us to say, that's the church. It's representative of the church. But remember what we looked at in 1 Chronicles 24 and 25? They were broken into 24 divisions so that when it was their turn, they took their turn in the temple. They took their turn leading the worship. When it was their time, according to their division, it was their time they got to go be a part of it. I think 
Because later on, you're going to see next week that whenever the four living creatures give glory to God, the 24 elders come and they take their crowns, they get off their thrones, and they lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now, either they're going to keep doing that over and on, or they get off the throne, and the next one gets their turn. I think there's a chance that one day you will, if you're in Christ, you will sit on one of those thrones yourself in the presence of God. Let me give you one more thing. Go to Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Who tells John to relax? There is somebody able to open the scroll. One of the elders. Let's have some fun. I really think we're going to each have a turn on one of those thrones. What if this is you? What if this is you? Isn't that kind of cool? I know it makes your head hurt. But let me ask you a question. The 24 elders and this elder wasn't bothered by the fact there wasn't anybody able to open the scroll because they knew what the scroll represented and why there was someone able to open the scroll. Are you ready yet to tell John if it's you? Relax. I know what this is all about. I know what the scroll means. I know who's able to open it. This is actually okay. If not, come back next week. I'm going to give you that information. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that if we let your word speak, and we stop building our theology from, well, God did this, but actually just let the scripture itself show us what your word says. As we go into the study deeper and deeper, we're going to find amazing things start to take place. And actually, passages that made no sense before, we're going to realize, wow, that was already written about three other times. Lord, I thank you that in my radio preparation, I found a passage in Proverbs where you already talk about Abaddon. I'd never seen Abaddon or Apollyon until the book of Revelation. Now I see it was already written about in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 11. Lord, continue to open my eyes to these things. Continue to open our eyes to the fact that your word is all along. The Old Testament is full of prophecies. Most of it is prophecies of your second coming. And Lord, things that we read about that didn't make sense are actually happening in our day that all of a sudden we're like, wow, I can see it. Father, we also know that at some point you're going to take us out of here. We're not to try to figure out when it is. We just need to be ready. But between now and then, you've given us a role and that's to be used of you, however you've gifted us, to whoever it is you put on our hearts and in our path, to point them to you through the gifting you've given us. 
whether it's prayer, whether it's preaching, teaching, serving, giving, whatever it is, exhorting, Lord, may we find what it is you have for us to do so that on that day we get to sit on that throne in your presence, there'll be lots of jewels on that crown we get to give to you. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen.